What up, listeners? I just wanted to take a brief moment and tell you about a service that Michael offers. That service is Professional VoiceOver Audio. Now, if you like Michael's sultry, smooth, and I dare say sexy vocal cords, then head over to Hot Mike City on the web and consider him for your voiceover needs. So he's professionally trained and has a killer setup for recording and mixing the perfect content for almost anything you can need. Again, you can find him at hotmikecity.com. That's H-O-T-M-I-K-E-C-I-T-Y dot com. Go check him out. Hey, welcome to the Unchurched Podcast, where your hosts, Michael and Sean, discuss issues of church, life, and religion. No subject is off limits, and our honesty and humor drives our discussion. We welcome you to sit in on the conversation and laugh with us as we challenge serious things. So pour your drink, kick your feet up, and let's get started with the show. Sean Dizzle. Mikey Hizzle. What is up, brother? What's poppin', Shouty? It has been a time of times, a day of days. Yeah. I've, a, a, month, a month of months. I've only heard some of it. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, first off, we've got episode five up, right? Yep, we have... Five episodes on SoundCloud, and we are soon to be on iTunes. Yes, and but yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be on iTunes shortly, so that's exciting. And also, before we jump into anything, um, we just set up an Instagram account, so that's pretty fun. Yes. Very cool. I think it'd be cool too, not to just post like album artwork and all that, but uh, you know, if we talk about <clears throat> if we talk about an article or a funny meme or something, we can post it up there, you know. <laughs> that way, people can see what we're talking about and not just hear it if they want to, you know. It's all good. And our website, where we can be found. Yeah, where where can we be found? Unchurched Podcast. Dot wordpress.com That's it. <clears throat> and so we're going to have some blogs uh, that we're going to be posting up there and um, just other stuff. So uh, our actual last podcast is on there as well. Yep. Right. So you can listen to that. Mom's Bigfoot and Grace. Mom's Bigfoot. Yeah. <laughs> Should have put commas, but you know what? Screw it. It's all good. It is all good. So, everybody, thanks for joining us for episode six. Uh, so, yeah. Let's talk about some it's, stuff it's here. It's going to be a deep... This is kind of a depressing and deep one, I think. We're we're not going to let it be depressing. I'm not going to let it be depressing. Well, I mean... I've had a you know, hard enough last couple of weeks. Yeah. All right. Well, you, you take it away, then. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean on you. Ah, well, so a couple of weeks ago, 
uh, my cousin passed. He's 32 or 33 years old and uh, died of cancer. And that was a real doozy on me and my whole family. And uh, as a cousin that I grew up with, my family is pretty tight. Um, So like 10 kids on my dad's side and like seven kids on my mom's. And, uh, and this was on my dad's side of the family. So all the kids had kids or majority of the kids had kids. And, and so all those cousins were pretty close in age together. And, uh, yeah, it was a doozy, man. It hit me hard. It hit me real hard. Um, but, uh, you know, cause he was really, really close. So, yeah. um, you know, he lived with my sister for a little while, so anytime I went to go visit her, he was there. You know, last time I saw him was uh, March 1st for my grandmother's birthday party, who just turned 90. And uh, and here she goes. She's burying a grandchild, uh, which was uh, just brutal, man. But uh, he was a fun-loving guy and, and uh, you know, really... Uh, good heart, you know, he, uh, he worked with old people and I, I think we, you and I talked, Sean, and I said, or maybe I was talking to somebody else. I don't know if I've talked to so many people about this, just getting it off my chest, but, uh, basically just, you know, he worked with old people and, and, you know, we treat our elderly like shit these days, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, he was one of those ones that, you know, would go in there and he would wipe your grandmother's ass for, her, you know, he would bathe them and he would sit with them and talk with them and laugh with them and on and on and on. You know, he just had a really, really good heart. Um, and so it was just really sad to uh, lose someone that's that special. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that was hard. You know, my, my mom called me, I was at work. And uh, around lunchtime, and I, I left work. You know, the Thursday that he died, I, I left work and and uh, you know changed my clothes and went to my sister's house because she was closer to him than any of us was. Mm-hmm. And uh, to to be with her and to be with my nieces and friends that would come over and you know on and on and on and we all kind of just like. You know, consoled one another, if you will. So it was, um, it was a very difficult time, man. I mean, we all bawled our eyes out and cried a whole lot, uh, just trying to trying to get through it. Uh, but it got me to thinking, you know, just about how uh, fragile life is. Obviously, you know, people die. You 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 start to. Um, reevaluate and and look at different relationships and look at uh look at the the people that are in your life and and at least for me I tend to ascribe a little bit more value uh to the ones that that are still here, you know. You you ever see that movie um The One with uh Jet Li? No. Or okay, so in this movie there are infinite number of alternate universes, all with the same people. And all of these 
these people like your doppelganger everywhere else and all these other universes all do different jobs. So you do videography in one uh, universe in the next universe, you're a gardener and the next one, you're a uh, <laughs> chef, you're a baker, you're a chef, you're yeah. this, you're that. And, and in the movie, the, the jet Lee that was actually like a villain what he would do is he learned to try to, to travel from universe to universe. And what he would do is he would kill off the other jet Lee's. And every single time he killed off a jet Lee, he got stronger and okay. stronger and stronger until, uh, he was only one of two left. And the thing is, is that every single time one of the jet Lee's died in a different universe, his energy and his strength, got dispersed to all the other Jet Li's in all the other universes. So when he got down to the last two Jet Li's, they were both like infinitely stronger. Yeah, they were all super Jet Li's. It was absolutely nuts. Dude, believe it or not, my phone is on silent and so is my watch, and the thing is still going off. I apologize. That's weird. Um... And and so I, I say all that to say that, um, you know, with that example, uh, everybody gets stronger every time somebody dies. That, that's that's kind of how I view uh, my relationships with the people that are remaining. It's like, you know, we we get a little bit stronger every time somebody passes and we we uh, our relationship grows a little bit more intimate every time because we we bear our souls to one another. We we remember um, the loss and we, we console one another and we, we end up showing each other a little bit more compassion and a little bit more, uh, empathy. And, um, and, and I think that it's a good lesson for people to learn how to do. I mean, not that I'm the expert. I I have had plenty of people die, but, uh, it's something that I've, I've learned to, to do and embrace over, you know, the, amount of people that have passed in my family, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just given me pause and it's given me a lot of, uh, reflection. So, uh, that's what I wanted to talk about. Death sucks, dude. It does. But it's the, it's, it's a, it's a pill that we all have to swallow at some point, right? Yeah, and I think too, I mean, I've, you know, we've probably all <clears throat> dealt with death at some point in our lives. And I mean, I obviously have too. And so far, it's not been anyone crazy close other than one person. Um, and the few times I've had to personally deal with, you know, a loved one or someone in the family dying, it's always. I mean, one, kind of like you said, you know, it it just causes you to reflect and to pause and, you know, you got to grieve and all of that's natural and good. And in those times, though, for me, like, along with the grieving, I just think, I, I start to think of myself and of, like, you know, what am I doing with the time I have, because you never really think like, oh, your days are limited until you're like, it's you're looking in a casket of someone who should be breathing and they're not, and it's weird as hell, you know. 
And it's almost like you're expecting them to just like <gasps> come back, you know, with a big old gasp of breath and come back to life and be like, oh, you asshole, you played us all. And then that, <laughs> that doesn't happen, you know? No, no, it doesn't. But, you know, looking into the casket and then that's, in, you know, etched in, at least it's etched in my brain. And I'm just like, like, I can go back to those times of like the loss and the, you know, I don't want to say hurt, but like the emotion of it and just the, man, I need to like, it's, it's a perfect time to kind of re-examine your life, I guess, a little. And I guess naturally we all probably do that in our own way of like, what am I doing in life and is it worth it? And like, where can I trim some fat? And maybe like, I shouldn't argue with this family member as much as I do. And I should just get over it and like enjoy you know them being my family and find a way to like make things work or you know what i'm saying yeah totally totally yeah it really uh the small things appear that much smaller you know the the small little petty differences that we have the um the the small little arguments and the just the, the small stuff dude it they say don't sweat the small stuff, and for real, I mean, compared to excuse me, bless you. Compared to losing someone close, the small stuff is minute. It's really, really small. Mm-hmm. And um, and we have to learn to uh, seize the day. You know, there, there's a song that some lady wrote, and again, I'm getting ready to show my uh, CCM side. Uh, oh God! <laughs> there was a song uh, that was called "Seize the Day," right? So she's the the tag of the song or the the chorus was "Seize the Day, Seize Whatever You Can," because life slips away like hourglasses. Seize the day, pray for a grace from God's hand. Life slips away, you know, every day. So seize the day. I know, dude, it's so white. (laughs) I mean, I'm sitting here racking my brain, and I don't (laughs) even know that I can think of what you're talking about, and it's fine. You don't tell me. You've never heard that song. I don't know. You've never heard that song. Maybe I blocked it. I'm sure you've heard that song. I'm good with it not ever being in my mind. All right. But I I see your point, so let's just keep her rolling. Yeah, all right. I apologize. That I mean, that song though. That I, I swear to God, when I first heard that song, it it really moved my heart only because of the truth behind it. Like, I, I didn't really care for the voice. Didn't really care for how CCM the song really was, but just the fact that uh, it 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 proved it, it it captured how short life really is and how how short time really is uh it's our it's our most valuable asset right because it's the one thing that we can never get back you give it away to somebody you can never get that time back right the the amount of time that you spend angry with someone for whatever reason you'll never get that time back it it's gone forever you've wasted your equity on anger or hurt or sadness or betrayal Uh, that's okay. 
But but seriously, we waste time and all of these things and not realizing that time is so valuable because you can never get it back. And I, when you just put things in perspective, you know, you can appreciate what you have a little bit more. And dude, you know what? We sound like a couple of old farts right now saying this, but it it's, or at least I sound really old saying it, but it's the truth. It is absolutely yeah, I mean, the truth. It is. I was uh I was sitting at the lounge today and uh earlier tonight when you texted me and said let's record and um a good brother of mine came in his name is Darrell he's a really really nice guy good christian brother he teaches at uh uh one of the community colleges in Detroit he was saying today how uh it's been really really hot and the the AC wasn't working in the building, so they sent everybody home after like three o'clock or whatever. And he said that he went back in uh, after after he let everybody go. They let everybody go. He ended up going back to work. Excuse me. And and then when we asked, like, why did you go back in? He said, because I remember being in the unemployment line where it was so much more hotter standing in the unemployment <laughs> line. I don't mind sitting at work, even though everybody is leaving. I don't mind sitting at work because I remember the days where I didn't have a job and I was even hotter than what I am sitting in this building actually getting paid. Yeah. You know, it's all about perspective. Perspective right there, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the brother, the brother's awesome. Like, yeah, I went back to work. I got some stuff done. You know, they let everybody go, but I stayed and got some stuff done. You know? It's all about perspective. It's all about how, how you choose to see things, because your belief system is going to, uh, it's going to affect your behavior. You know, and it's just that simple, dude. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> totally agree. Yeah. So my cousin died on Thursday, and then on Monday I had to put my dog down. Yeah. Talk about when it rains, man. It freaking pours, right? And you know my angel. You remember Angel. Mm, I do. Great dog. Angel I got when she was only nine weeks old. And um, that was back in uh, 2015. uh, uh, 2005. Got her in 2005. She was only nine weeks old. Um, I got her spayed. uh, And... You know, brought her into the house the first time. She immediately walked in and peed. And, uh, <laughs> you know, marked her territory. And I pinned her down on the ground and I bit her in the neck. Because that's what I was I was told by this big dog lover. That's what you do. You establish dominance right away. You pin them down, you bite them. And you show them that, you know, you're the, the top dog. Which was probably dumb, and I can probably get sued by PETA for even repeating that. Uh, but that's what I did. And Angel was so loyal to me, not to anybody else, was so loyal to me that I could walk her off leash, and she would stay right by, you know, my right leg, and she would walk with me no matter how far I went. You know, and that was my girl. That was my, she was my angel, dude. Uh... But, uh, yeah, Monday morning I went to let her outside. She's 13 years old. 
I went to let her outside and um, she was the last one to get up like she has been in the last couple of years. She was starting to get arthritis and um, she she gets up and she's not moving her back right leg. She's got it hoisted up. And um, which was odd because the night before she ran around, she was playful. Mm-hmm. Um, went up the stairs fine. I mean, she she has been having trouble getting up and down stairs, but that's just because of arthritis. Her back legs have been bothering her, and apparently she slept on that back leg wrong, and um, and she was in so much pain, and uh, she bit my wife a few times. She's she's just been getting ornery and and mean and aggressive the last few years. And uh, it's just because she's been in pain, you know. And uh, I never really held it against her. I knew she was in pain. And uh, and I knew that the day was coming where I was going to have to put her down. And so uh, so we did. She was on her last leg and uh, literally. <laughs> huh. I went to work. The wife says, uh, we got to take her into the vet. And I'm dreading it because I'm like, I know, you know, yeah, she's old and no matter what they do to her, she's probably not going to recover all that well. And, uh, we, we went into the vet and the doctor had a very serious conversation with us about, uh, you know, our options. And, uh, he wanted to put her under for x-rays and stuff. And he's just, in so many words, you know, we, he was, he was just like, look, I, I'm going to do x-rays because I know they have to be done first, but most likely I'm going to have to do surgery on her. And, and, to, you know, and then after surgery, this, unfortunately, with her being so old, there's no real guarantees, you know, of her quality of life and on and on and on. And, you know, it's a hard decision to make when you're talking about animals and quality of life, you know, do you... You keep them around and and let them suffer in pain just because you're a selfish jerk that wants your dog around, you know. Yeah. That was my my viewpoint of myself, and 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 I'm we're sitting in the office, and me and Jenna are talking and and debating it out, and I just flat out told her, I said, you know, honestly, I just feel selfish right now because I I want my dog, you know, I want to keep her around, but I know she's been in pain for two years. And I've probably kept her, you know, in pain and tried to keep her comfortable. But she's been in pain for the last couple of years, so much so to where she's, you know, she's biting my wife. She's she's bitten me several times. Um, She's biting Micah. She's biting, you know, other kids. And it's like, you know, you just try to pet her and she bites you. And it's like, you know. She's in a lot of pain, and I don't know how long it's going to take for her to recover, or even if the surgery is going to actually work. And uh, we made the difficult decision to just let her be at peace. Oh, talk about crying, brother! <clears throat> yeah, I can imagine. I remember when uh, my parents put. Um, so technically, it was my dog, but 
because at the time my mom hadn't remarried and she wanted you know she knew I wanted a dog and it would be sort of a friend you know and I could take care of it and all that so that's all cool but it pretty much ended up being her dog <laughs> How so? you know well I mean I don't know it was just like that's her like so his name he was a uh one quarter Pomeranian and three quarters Shih Tzu. So he was tiny. I mean, like seven pound tiny. Uh, his name was Hershey. And he was yeah, cute yeah, as can yeah. be, super chill, never really barked, like typical lap dog. Uh, but would want to play and then he'd want to sleep and then want to play and then want to sleep, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was just like my mom's second child man like i don't know what it is but that was like her baby you know uh so it kind of became her dog and you know i left the nest so to speak when i came of age and moved out and started my own life and she kept him obviously you know so even after i was gone like you know it was just it was more so her dog yeah which is fine you know but um I remember they called me and, you know, she was balling and she's like, we're going to have to put Hershey down. And, you know, he lived, uh, I think he was 13 or 14, which is like, I think 14 is the average lifespan of a Shizu. Okay. But, uh, you know, it was kind of similar, like getting older, things started happening, more vet visits and it was kind of like, uh, okay, well, you could spend about seven grand and hope that it fixes it and hope that he recovers, or we could put him down. And I remember, like, I mean, I, you know, I loved Hershey. Like, he was our dog, you know, he's part of the family, yeah. you know? And, uh, but still, for me, I guess I'm kind of a douche because I'm just like, I can't, I can't justify spending seven thousand dollars on a dog let alone with you don't even know if the odds are going to be in your favor that you know it's going to do anything good yeah that's an expensive gamble to take you know right yeah so like really on one hand like they are part of the family you know but right. on the other hand it's like it's a dog i yeah. mean how much money are you gonna you know try and i, I don't know but obviously they you know were like well, given the odds, we're just going to make the tough decision and put him down because we don't want him to suffer. And, you know, he's old. It's not like he didn't have a good life kind of thing. And they, uh, they called me back the next day and said they were about to put him down. And that was that, man. And, dude, like, I cried. And I'm not really a crier. Huh. But, uh, yeah, man, I mean, it sucks, you know. It does. It really does. Even though it's not a person, it's, you know, it's crazy how close we get to an animal. It is. Especially dogs. Because. Yeah. They and are... Like if you're a cat lover, it's the same thing. Like, no, you know, it's not the same thing with cats. You don't think? Cats have the tendency to steal souls. <laughs> and I'm not down with that. I mean, I I can't stand cats. I really, really don't like cats. But for dogs, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. They do become part of it. I mean, I'm joking, but 
yeah, they do become part of the family. And, you know, to be honest with you, I, I get more people responding, giving their condolences for my dog than they did for my cousin, who was a, li- a living human being, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Figure that out. Um, well, do you think some of that is because maybe these people knew Angel and they didn't necessarily know your cousin? Um, no, because a lot of the condolences were not people that knew Angel. Huh. It, it was, it was, I think more than anything, it was just that, uh, there are people that could relate to losing a, a dog, you know? Yeah. I, I think yeah, that, but I mean, versus losing a family member, I, you know what? I don't know, dude. I, I'm just speculating. I, I think huh. that that's probably what it was. And then too, you know, uh, when a cousin dies, a lot of people, you know, like case in point, like in most jobs, when you when you uh, lose a loved one, you get time off of bereavement, depending For on the. Immediate? For immediate family, but not for extended family. Right. You know, because they just don't consider them to be that close. But how can you measure the closeness of a loved one, even if they were just a friend? You know, mm-hmm. nobody can measure the depth of that loss but you. Because only you were in the relationship, not someone yeah. on the outside looking in. And so if you don't really understand the closeness that the two people had then you, it probably wouldn't affect you. And, and you would probably assume that because the dog lived with me for 13 years and I was closer to the dog than I was to my cousin. But the <laughs> <laughs> uh, fact is, is uh, both of them hurt. Both of them were huge losses for me. I bawled my eyes out for both of them. Yeah. You know? So we had a good laugh about my mom because... She was like, she called me like the day after and she says, oh, why didn't you tell me that you put down Angel? And, you know, and she she put on Facebook, you know, oh, my grand dog. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I, I, I remembered that when I first got the dog, I tried to get my parents to dog sit. And they were like, we love you, but we don't do dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I, I can't. Now, now it's her grand dog. Now it's her grand dog. You know, <laughs> my parents would come over, and my dad would say, "All right, now, Angel, don't pee on my feet. Move out of my way." You know. Hmm. So I mean, you know, it's it. Teach their own. You know, everybody feels. I, I mean, you you have a right to feel however you feel, right? They're not mm-hmm. right or wrong. They're just your feelings, and um. You know, and I felt that, man. I felt it for both of them. I felt it. It hit me hard. You know? I had to go through, you know, a little bit of, you know, depression. I had to fight through it, man. And um, and that stuff's not easy. No. You know, I, I can only imagine the, you know, some of the listeners or so, whoever would be listening to this conversation, how they would be able to relate, some of them be able to relate to you know, struggling with depression for, you know, whatever loss that they, they may have. Um, and it's just not easy. You know, I empathize because it sucks. Loss really does. But you have to go through it. And um, I don't know if this is too satisfyingly deep, but I'll just, I'll try to go there. 
Take me there. You know, feelings are not right or wrong. They just are. You know, they are what they are. And the only way to ever overcome any feeling or any loss or any, you know, cycle of grief is to allow yourself to feel. And it's something that Jesus had to do with Lazarus. And the scripture just flat out says that he loved Lazarus. That was it. It didn't say that they were homeboys or that they were cousins or that, you know, it didn't really explain you know anything about the relationship the only thing that is said was that he loved him mm-hmm. and and when you when you look at the scripture the shortest verse in the bible is that jesus wept and we used to joke about that as a kid you know the sort of you know give me give me uh, a bible verse that you know you know we would say jesus wept and we would sit back down you know and and it's true we we quoted the scripture but but the meaning behind it is so much deeper and that that love, despite the, uh, the the title on the relationship, it when it's real love, it it goes beyond a, a title. Like it doesn't have to be a cousin or auntie or a mother or a father. It's just flat out love, the most powerful thing in the universe. It's love. And when there's loss, you have to allow yourself to feel that. And allow the, the, the love to come out. Because your grieving is nothing more than the expression of the love that you've lost. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing in this world that's wrong with that. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to... to uh, it's, 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 it's nothing to fight. You just gotta freaking let it happen, man. I know you said you're not a crier, but... Man, ain't nothing wrong with it, dude. Well, yeah, I, mean, I know that you're doesn't not... mean that I that I don't cry, and right. like honestly, now that I'm a little older and married, and honestly, I mean, this is a whole other conversation that we could have sometime. But like prior to me even being okay with marriage for myself, I had like God really dealt with me with a lot of stuff. Yeah, and part of that was emotion and. Uh, I honestly just loving people and caring about people and caring for myself and loving myself in ways that I didn't ever think about. Cause you know, what's funny is like without love, you would not have grief or loss, you know? Yes. Like if, if you didn't love your cousin or your dog or whoever, you know, insert whatever person or thing, then when it's taken away, you would not have the loss feeling, you know? So it's interesting that, like, grieving comes because of love, you know? Exactly. And it's kind of weird, I guess, to think about if you really stop and think about it. And maybe that's why, you know... Jesus said, the greatest of these is love. Like, love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Like, it has to come first. Or else there is no loss. There is no empathy or pain, I guess. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of weird to think about. No, you're absolutely right. It it is proof of our 
it's proof of our humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's proof that you have lived. It's proof that you you exist, that you love, and that you feel, and you really. There is no intimacy without emotion, and that's deep right there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there is no intimacy without emotion. There's no closeness without feeling, you know, and and when stuff happens, it when there's a loss of relationship or a loss of life or whatever, it sucks, man. You feel it, and you have to allow yourself to grieve, you know, and um, yeah, and that's where I've been the last two weeks, bro. I've just been like, you know, in this mode of. You know, little bit by little bit, just allowing myself to feel, allowing myself to go a certain place. You know, not I, I've learned through the years not to deny myself an opportunity to feel because I don't know, man. You know, growing up, I struggled with a lot of apathy. You know, I, I apathy was my drug of choice to overcome the anger or the anguish or whatever negative emotion that came. That's mm-hmm. that's how I learned to do it. You know, I I, I never I never learned the I it took me years to learn the skill of uh, of of processing my emotions. You know, it was just easier for me to just say, well, whatever, I don't care. And then to not care. Like I practiced it, dude. I was an expert. It, frankly, mm-hmm. I'm still good at not caring. I really am. I'm very, very good at it. But the older I get, the more mature I get, uh, the more I'm realizing that it's a very unhealthy thing uh, to to practice apathy. It's very unhealthy because what it does is it, it closes your heart to people. Not just things that you feel, but it closes your heart to people. And when you close your heart to people, you know what you do? <laughs> you know what I do? I walk away. I walk away from mm-hmm. people. You know, it's it's easier to to uh, leave a relationship or to betray someone even if you have apathy. But if you care and if you allow yourself to feel and allow yourself to be broken, the the fruit of that is actually humility. It's it's actually selflessness. It's a lowering of oneself to, uh, to and and um, and and strengthening of other people. It's it causes you to value less your opinion and your uh, your right to be right, and it allows a little bit more compassion and empathy to rise up to be able to see someone else and actually be a productive member in that relationship. Mm-hmm. So you, you have to, uh, you have to feel, you have to feel, you can't allow yourself to be shut down, uh, to, to the point where you, where you stuff your emotions and stuff your feelings because you'll never come out of depression. You'll never come out of your anger or your resentment or your, your disbelief, you know, like these are all things that are part of the grieving process, but you'll never come out of them if you don't allow yourself to feel. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and I don't know about you, but <clears throat> I mean, I use, and I, I probably like, well, I don't probably, I still do because, you know, decades of mastering what I'm about to say, I can yield it if I choose or not, you know, and sometimes it's a good thing and sometimes it's not, but like using apathy or, you know, not allowing yourself to be vulnerable or open up to be humble or compassionate and love is a defensive mechanism because, and I'm just speaking for me, but like I learned if I did not care about someone, they could not hurt me. Exactly. So in not allowing myself to be vulnerable on certain levels, and I'm not talking with sex, you know, like, which is where everyone wants, always wants to go. I'm just talking like emotionally and like, uh, mentally, like I'm going to protect myself against everyone that way. No one can hurt me. Yeah. And then that comes across as, oh man, Sean's an asshole. Like he can just say blunt stuff and he can just, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's like, he doesn't even care. Well, no, I don't care. I'm making myself not care so that you don't ever hurt me because I don't like to be hurt. (laughs) And it's a good trade-off with me taking it, you know, a chance on maybe you hurting me one day or, you know, and that became so normal that like, it was, you know, just easy to be like, well, you're dead to me. I mean, I care nothing about you and I'm not ever going to allow you to hurt me. So, yeah. You know what? I mean, obviously that's horribly wrong. I mean, that's not the gospel at all. That is not showing Jesus to anyone, even myself. Like I didn't love myself enough to allow myself to be vulnerable to, yeah, maybe if something happens, you do get hurt. But like, like I said before, like we are called to love people, you know? And unfortunately, a lot of times that can be taken advantage of or you're seen as weak or, you know, no one wants to turn the other cheek, you know? Right. Because then that cheek's going to get punched. You know what I'm saying? So now you don't have one one hurt cheek. Yeah. Now you got two hurt cheeks. Sure. So screw that. No one's going to make me into that, you know, little pansy. Like I'm going to defend my own. You know what I'm saying? Right. But man, the bondage that comes with that is just like so depleting and exhausting. I don't know, man. It's exhausting. And yeah. It's a, well, it's exhausting. And you know what? Even more so, it's super lonely. Oh. You're absolutely right. I mean, right. super lonely. If you never had, like, and honestly, a lot of this stuff I had to, like, God, I didn't. God worked it out of me. And again, not all of it. Like, I'm, I, you know, it's not like, come to me. I have all the answers. (laughs) Like, that's not a thing. But there were very big things that God literally worked through me or worked out of me so that I could be married right now. And I really think that if certain things had not changed in me, I couldn't love someone else. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Not because, oh, I'm not compassionate. Just because, like, I, I'm not going to be vulnerable with someone. 
And like you said earlier, if like you have to be vulnerable. No doubt about it. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, at least for me, uh, what I had to learn is that that shutting people out stuff mm-hmm. that is nothing more than my own insecurity and my fear. That's what it's rooted in. Yep. Fear and insecurity. And we know from scripture that fear is the opposite of love. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and in first John, it says there's no fear in love, right? Cause perfect love casts out all fear. Fear is the mm-hmm. opposite of love. It's very simple. You're not loving effectively if you are afraid and insecure. Dude, that right there is satisfyingly deep. Yep. <laughs> That's Boom. good right there. <laughs> Seriously, dude, you, you are not loving if you're afraid and insecure. You're shutting people out. And and the fact is, well, is what do you, do you climb up. Afraid? You guard. You guard the yourself. defense. And there is nothing weaker than a person that gets on the defense. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in the midst of a conversation and someone disagrees with you. And all of a sudden you get defensive and you start taking it personal. Well, that just shows your insecurity, dude. <laughs> it's just because I disagree with you doesn't mean I don't love you. Mm-hmm. It just means I have a different viewpoint. And if you loved me, then you would allow me to have a different viewpoint. It doesn't have to Man, be. Man, if all the people on Twitter could understand at least half of that, could you imagine <laughs> Twitter might actually be enjoyable again? Sure, maybe. You know, the fact is, is that there is no intimacy without three things. I preached this message a long time ago to a crowded room of five people. I was teaching intimacy at this church out in like, I don't know, it, it was out there in like Richmond or Goodrich or something like that. I was. I was at this church. I said, intimacy requires three things. One, vulnerability. You have to be willing to be open. You have to be willing to be, uh, allow yourself the opportunity to get stabbed or to get slapped. And that, that's what Jesus was saying. You know, uh, mm-hmm. someone slaps your, your one cheek, give them your other. You got to be willing to be vulnerable in order to let yourself be open. Like if you get taken advantage of, you get it taken advantage of. But the fact is, if the end goal is intimacy, you need to be vulnerable. The second thing you have to do is be honest. And honesty and vulnerability go together. But in terms of honesty, you have to be willing to show your true self. You have to be willing to be your true self. Okay, you you have to say, look, I'm an open book. This is who I am. Okay, I'm a Christian. I love God. I accept Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. I cuss a little bit. I drink a little bit. I smoke a little cigar and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm honest about who I am. This is who I am. I'm not hiding it from anybody. Right. The third thing is that you have to be willing to trust. 
Those three things have to be in place in order for intimacy to be established and maintained in any relationship there is. Mm. If you can't trust someone, then you'll never have intimacy. And obviously we have different relationships with different people and it is completely healthy to keep certain people at arm's length. Right. Sure. Especially if they've, you know, they're, they've betrayed you or if they are untrustworthy <laughs> for that matter. Right. Mm-hmm. But when it comes down to building intimacy that with someone that you want to actually build intimacy with, you got to be vulnerable. You got to be honest and you got to trust them. It's just as simple. It'll never go anywhere. The relationship will never get off the ground if you're not willing to do those three things. You know, so it, it takes a lot of humility to be able to develop intimacy with anybody. I mean, and we're still talking about just being able to feel at the end of the day, being able to feel, being able to love. It's work, bro. It's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. You got to exercise some muscles. You got to get some healing and and get some maturity. And, you know, you got to work on some stuff. You got to work on you. If you really want to get there, you're going to have to work on you. You're going to have to put in the time, you know. Lift a little bit. You don't lift, bro. <laughs> I don't lift nothing. <laughs> you got to be willing to lift, man. Put in the work. You know, otherwise it'll, you know, intimacy will never come to you. You'll never share it with anybody. And I, and I think that's why you and Brooke have the relationship that you have. This, that's why me and Jenna have the relationship that we have. You know, I, we made well, for it for that matter. That's why anyone who has a good marriage or honestly, even good friendships, good business relationships. I mean, it's, it's the same. I think obviously it's, you know, different, but I mean, it, I think it's the same across the board, you know? Yeah, it is. It really is. Um, what's required is the same. But, you know, I still think that at the end of the day, you know, it, it's still your choice. Of course. What you want out of the relationship. You want to be close or you don't want to be close. You know, and, and me and my wife have had this conversation so many times. You know, she'll set up an appointment to or not an appointment. I don't mean appointment, but she sets a date with some people and say, OK, we're going to go out with so and so, you know, on this date. And it's like two weeks away. Mm hmm. We get to the day of, and she's like, I don't want to go. Like, what? You're so excited <laughs> about doing this. Come on, let's go. Eh, you know, I don't want to go. It's like, all right, fine. And you got to say, you know what, babe? You want relationship or you don't want relationship? You know? You miss them because you haven't seen them in a month. Now you have an opportunity to see them, and you don't want to, you don't want to take a shower and get dressed or, you know, whatever. We're just being lazy that day and don't want to do anything. Well, you set the appointment, put in some work, let's get ourselves ready and go or not. And I'm the introvert. <laughs> that's the funny <laughs> thing. I'm the introvert. I'm the one that's supposed to be saying, no, I don't want to go. You know, I want to sit at home and, and watch Sports Center or something. Uh, but it's your choice at the end of the day. That's my point. It's your choice. We choose whether or not we want to be close or not. And and the thing is, is that you, you have to realize that 
it's about, at the end of the day, it's about what you value. Do you value the person, the people, the relationship, the love that you share? Do you ascribe value to it or not? You know, and bringing it back full circle, death makes us or should make us reflect on the value that we place on the relationships that remain. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you truly have loved, then those that remain, your love, your intimacy with them should actually increase abroad to the other relationships and the value that you ascribe to them should increase. If you're a relatively healthy person, it's all about perspective, <laughs> right? It's all about perspective. Mm-hmm. That value should increase. So. Yeah. Dude, you're, you're right. I was going <clears> to <throat> bring it back full circle, but you, you already did it. Yeah. Yeah. That's how we do. It's, it's true, man. And like, you've, you know, had to see some loved ones go, whether they were human or not. And I think that's like, dude, not to get whatever, but like, I've rarely been to a mostly white funeral where it wasn't, <laughs> yeah, I'm going there because it's, I got, I kind of have a, I kind of like, I, I want to, uh, anyway. Yeah, go like, ahead. So all of the white funerals I've been to, uh-huh. they've all been super quiet and very reverent and everyone's crying and everyone's, you know, oh, and like, there's nothing wrong with that. No. However, I've also been to some funerals of colored individuals. And you, let me tell you, bro. You can say black people. Black people. Okay, I've been to some black funerals, bro. And you go into that funeral service, and they're like, listen here. We ain't coming here with no bad tears, okay? We are not having a funeral service today, brothers and sisters. We are having a party. We are going to celebrate the one who passed because we are not going to dwell on the fact that they are no longer here. We are going to celebrate the time that we shared with them, each and every one of us, and the legacy that is going to live on through each and every one of us. So do not cry unless you are crying happy tears. And dude, they just have church, you know, and like, and get down. And it's like, God, this is what like, this is what it should, like, this is what I want when I die. You know, this is what it should be. It's not like mopey, sit around, oh, I wish they were still here. I mean, yes, you feel that and you want that. But like, bro, the time that we had with this person, like, man, I'll never be the same because of this thing. And oh, you remember when like, he or she did this thing, and, like, I'll never forget that. Like, I don't know, man. It's just so cool to have been in um, several services that are so, like, contrast, you know? Because for me, as a white person, I may have never experienced that. Yeah. And I'm not saying that white people don't do that, and it's just a black people thing. That's not, like, you know, hopefully no one listening to that hears that. Right. My point is, like, I'm 
glad that I was a part of any colored person's funeral where they said, oh, hell no. Nah. We ain't going to sit here and mope. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to party. Sure. And we're going to, like, remember this person and rejoice in that. And, obviously, if you're, you know, Christian believer, that we're going to see him again anyway, you know? But, yeah, dude, yeah. It's, it, it kind of comes back to the what's your perspective. And my point in all of that was, like, you know, you've, you've experienced loss, but, like, you're never going to not have those memories or, you know, have shared those times, you know? And, like, in a weird, maybe mystical kind of way, I feel like they kind of do live on, like, the, the people or the, the soul or the essence of the person kind of lives on through the people that they have touched. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And, uh... I don't know, man. It's kind of cool and, like, heartwarming and just, like, yes, grieve. But, like, on the tail end of grieving, like, you got to kind of party, man, and just, like, rejoice in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's why we, at least in my culture, I'm not saying black culture as a whole, but I know the culture of Mm -hmm. my family and my upbringing is that we don't have funerals. We have a home going service. Yeah. You know, the, the pastor, the family pastor that we have, at least on the hind side of the family, uh, his name is, uh, Kevin Johnson. And he is a old school Baptist preacher. And, uh, somebody, yeah, I mean, and if you know anything about old school Baptist preaching, you know, the the requirement to become a old Baptist preacher is that you have to start off in the choir. <laughs> so you got to know how to sing. Mm-hmm. You got you got to know how to flow with the organ, you know? And you, you got to know how to take that breath. <gasps> and the God said, <gasps> and you know, <laughs> all of that. I'm pretty sure they make you go through a uh, a course on how to how to uh, clear away the sweat using a hanky. Oh, yes. Because there, there's a mythology to that. Yes. Or a method ology. Yeah, there is. But, you know, at, at, the, at the service, he said, you know, uh, and this is a whole other topic for a whole other time, but he's like, you know, he said, I know some of you in here, you know, you, you know that, that he was gay, and you're wondering if I'm going to preach him into heaven or not. (laughs) And he said, my job is not to preach him into heaven, but to preach to you to make sure that you get there. Because I read in his obituary that when (laughs) he was a kid, at the ripe old age of 13, that he accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and and he went (laughs) off. So I'm not concerned about his salvation. Because it says that he has received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and I'm not here to judge. Uh, But what I am here to do is make sure that when you die, you get a chance to see him again. So maybe you should look at your life and look at your, you know, I I mean, he preached good. I mean, I could have did, I could have did with all the, the, all that stuff. You know, I don't, you know, all that's not absolutely necessary, but yeah. 
you know, for Baptist church, for many Baptist churches, that is necessary. But uh, we were in a funeral home and, and homeboy took us to Sunday morning service. And it was it was pretty damn good. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So, I, I mean, to your point, though, it should be a celebration of life and, and transition, you know, from mm-hmm. one life to the next. Because in a Christian faith, we don't believe that death is the end. You know, uh, and, uh, in First Samuel, there's a verse that says that, excuse me, there's a verse that says that there is but one breath between here and eternity. You know, it's just one breath. Like, we are all just one breath away from eternity. At all times. Mm-hmm. You never know when your time is up or, you know, when your time on this earth is up. You know, this body is retired and goes back to the earth. Uh, but <laughs> there was an old school rapper that said, you're going to live forever. Heaven or hell, choose your residence. I've <laughs> got, he says, uh, you're going to live forever. Heaven or hell, choose your evidence. I'm going to heaven and I've got faith as my evidence, is what he said. I mean, the, the, the dude was awesome, you know, mm-hmm. back when Christian rap was brand new and it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, it, it's the truth, you know, so we have to choose uh, not only the way that we, we want to live, but, you know, we have to prepare ourselves for death and the fact that death isn't the end it is nothing more than a transition point and whether you're christian or not every religion in this world has that same philosophy has that same point mm-hmm. you know for those that that believe that the egyptians had all the wisdom of the world and and they are the right ones when it comes down to religion faith even them, you know, they're, they're the whole idea of the pyramid and mummifying the body, all of that, uh, you know, burying the, the, the kings in, a, in, in the tomb with different tools. It was, it was because death wasn't the end. It was uh, the point of transition. And you had to travel through whatever to get to paradise and peace or the afterlife or whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, or back to a couple episodes uh, ago, <laughs> you die, <laughs> then you reborn someone else, and you're crying because you're forgetting or remembering the old life you used to have, which you no longer have. However you want to view it, uh, the point is death is not the end. And as far as Christians, uh, hopefully you prepare yourself for death and the afterlife by um, accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and, you know, believing that his death, his burial, his resurrection uh, was a price that needed to be paid for your salvation and for your eternal, eternal life uh, in heaven with him. So, uh, boom, there you go. Truth. There you go right there. Well, we probably need to start wrapping this up. Yeah, buddy. However, um, I think our next episode should be about um, 
something you hit on a few minutes ago about, you know, being gay, going to heaven, going to hell, um, and the whole judgment thing. Yeah. I really think we could we could take a whole episode on that for sure. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, we can do that. But we also, I also wanted to talk to you about uh, Morgan Freeman and his accusations. Oh, dude, I could, I could go off right now. Yeah, it's going to be a doozy. So, all right, cool. We'll do it. I like it. We'll, we'll, we'll do it all. So, again, we're at uh, unchurchedpodcast.wordpress.com. Twitter is uh, unchurchedpod, at unchurchedpod, right? Correct. Same thing for Instagram. Right. And same thing for SoundCloud. Yeah. And SoundCloud. So on iTunes very soon, uh, we'll be hooking that up. So uh, keep on tuning in. We appreciate you listening. For right. show. All right, brother. Till next time. Peace. Assalamu alaikum, my brother. Salaam. <laughs> Peace. Peace. <laughs>